of motivations. If you play sports or played sports or watch sports, um, there's two types of coaches, two types, two extremes. Obviously, everybody's in between. Probably you know of some coaches that are one extreme or the other. But there's the coach that is uh, calm, collective, encouraging. He is pushing you to greatness. You've missed every shot in the game so far, but he's encouraging you, telling you that you can make the shot. I've seen you make the shot. You got this, buddy. Second quarter, get in there. You got this. And there's, no, there's not this sense of like, um, I just get this overwhelming, like he's for me. And then there's the other extreme, coach. Um, I never played football, but I, I just imagine a football coach this way. Like, grabbing you by the face mask, in your face, screaming at you, insulting pretty much everything in your life, including your mother, that you're not running as fast as you should run. You're not tackling as hard as you should tackle. You need to pick it up. There's screaming. There's yelling. There's intensity, right? There's two types of motivation, two types of coach in those two extremes. And I'm curious, just as we start, which one are you motivated by? If you're motivated by, um, let's see, if you're motivated by the first coach, raise your left hand. And if you're motivated by the second coach, the more intense coach, raise your right hand. Right? It, yeah, this is not a trick question. I'm not going to be like, well, you raise your right hand, stand up. Well, I, this isn't to bring back bad memories of sport, your sports days. I'm just curious what your motivation is. Um, I would argue that, this morning, um, I would argue that we need both. We need both. Not, not to insult your mother kind of part of, of the intense guy. Um, but we need intensity. And we need reality. We need, um, we don't need pessimism. We need real. And we all, I don't care like what our personality type is, what our skill level, um, or where we're at in life, we all need encouragement. We all need believed in. Because at both extremes, at both levels, in our life, in our walk with Jesus Christ, we fall. We miss the mark. Holy in God's eyes. Set apart in the process of sanctification, but declared righteous in his eyes. Yes, but we still get discouraged. We still fall. We still trip. We still get um, these attitudes of wanting to quit. These attitudes of not doing anything. Um, and so... We need both extremes. We need both parts to motivate us to move on, to motivate us to keep going. And I think that's what's so powerful about the Word of God. When you read the Word of God, you see both extremes. You see this aspect of the bigness and the holiness of God and the holiness that He's calling us to live. The mark that we are to shoot for, that seems so impossible 
to the point where we feel like if we've missed the mark, or we don't feel like we're, 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 we're what we're reading in Scripture, or even comparing it to the men and the women of Scripture that, that were, were giants in the faith, when we feel like we've missed it, sometimes we, we check out. Um, but at the same time, when you read the Word, you see this, this, this amazing, edifying, building up encouragement. No, no matter where you're at, in your faith. And even if you have no faith at all, the door is open that by faith you would come to receive Jesus as Savior, as hope, as righteousness, as everything. And I love Scripture from, from front to back, right? Are you with me? Just love the Word of God and from different aspects of of the historical context of things, to what's to come in Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, there's such this vast picture of what God is trying to tell us through his inspired, perfect, inerrant, preserved, supernaturally preserved word. But I believe right in the middle of the New Testament, um, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter that was to a church in a city that I think is one of the most encouraging and truth-giving parts of the entire Bible. And that is the book of Philippians. I'm going to ask you to turn there. The book of Philippians is in the New Testament. Today is kind of an overview of, of that book. If you notice on the screens behind me, it says, Vintage Church Triumph. As you know, we've been studying the vintage church. What is the vintage church? If you look at, ultimately, you look at the book of Acts, these first Christians, let me, let me make it a little more clear or simple. So, Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died for our sins, he rose from the dead, and he set on a, us on a path to build his church. He sent his disciples on a path to spread the gospel, the good news of salvation, not just for the Jew, but for the Greek, not just for one nation, but for all nations, right? And in that path, um, he used a guy named Paul as an apostle, as a leader, as an overseer of these churches, and he knew that he had to spread the gospel, not via um, technology that we have now. He had to go there. He had to build a team. He had to meet face-to-face. He had to build God's church through relationship, through establishing these smaller churches that were ultimately a part of the greater church, the capital C church. That's the vintage church, and we've been on that process. And so our, our, our study through the book of Acts has led us to uh, Acts chapter 16, where Paul goes to, Paul and Silas actually go to a city called Philippi. And in Philippi, uh, there gathered the church. The church wasn't necessarily a bunch of churches with a bunch of steeples. It was a gathering, a fellowship of one church of Jesus Christ. How they met typically was probably in homes, um, not your traditional square building with a steeple on top. 
the church, they knew the church was like the living, breathing organization, organism, uh, 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 organization, a club, but not an, ex- uh, an exclusive club, an all-inclusive club. Because again, this was Paul bringing the gospel to the rest of the world. This was an all-inclusive club, the club called the church. And may we never lose sight of that. And so that's kind of where we're at at this point. If, so we sat down uh, in the fall, and we kind of walked through what Vintage Church would look like. And as we got to this point in Acts chapter 16, when, when Paul and Silas would go to Philippi, and we, were, we knew we'd be talking about the church at Philippi, um, the word we, can, we, can, we came up with, the, the theme we came up was up with was triumph. Triumph. When you read Philippians, and my desire this morning is, as we just get a glimpse of this, that you guys would see um, the example of what it looks like to triumph over all things. To triumph over all circumstances. Circumstances. That's our focus today. How are your circumstances today? We can be real, right? In church, how are things going? That's a question you get asked all the time. How are you doing? Good, good, or fine. Or sometimes we don't have the, the right atmosphere to be able to kind of dive into how our circumstances are going. So today I want to I do that a little bit in light of Scripture, in light of Paul, in light of this first chapter of Philippians. Now, I also want to argue that, I also want to point out that today as we study his word and we focus on the vintage church in this city of Philippi, that the focus just isn't for people that are having a difficult time with their circumstance. This is also for for maybe some of us, uh, or maybe a few of you, um, that feel like things are going really well right now. God's really blessing, and God's really... um, evident in the way he's blessing me in my life. I, I feel like those are circumstances too. And what my desire today is we, we read the first part of Philippians that, that the Holy Spirit would begin to reveal in us what it looks like to live not just above your circumstance, but to literally rise to triumph over your circumstance. Not that you neglect your circumstance, not that you ignore your circumstance, whether you're in trial or blessing but that you would truly see what triumph looks like over your circumstance regardless of what that circumstance may be. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. We are in, thank you, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. I want you to see this. I'd like you to read, if you have a Bible, if you don't, on the uh, Conduit Mysteries app or if you have a Bible app, I would like you to see this because we're going to read quite a bit here. I think this is an important, obviously an important piece to what we're, where we're going today. Verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus, to all the saints, basically that's saying all the Christians, to all the people at the church in Philippi, in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now Philippi, it's, uh, I was talking to my Greek friend last night, and I was corrected that it's Philippi, is how you say it the right way. And there's a lot of like, uh, even me saying that right there, Philippi, is not necessarily correct. Um, 
But she kind of di- dove into, like I told her kind of what I was going to be talking about, and, and we were talking about the culture of, of, of Philippi, and like, sh- then she just disappeared. And I was at uh, her house, and I was talking to her husband, and she disappeared, and uh, we moved on in conversation. She comes back with like these books, right? And she's like all excited. It's like I opened a can of something, and she's excited to show me, and she's got all these books open, and she's flipping through, because she's been to Philippi, and she's been to this, what is a city in, in ruins um, um, in Greece, and, and, and being Greek, she had a lot to say about that, and you, like, you know what Greeks are known for? <laughs> Yogurt. <laughs> Stole my joke. That's good, man. I like that. You're with it today. I like you. I, I was going to say, they're known for big, fat, Weddings, right? I couldn't, I couldn't make it through without a movie reference, reference right? Uh, and past their yogurt, past their big fat weddings, um, here lies this city called Philippi. Now, there's another, there's a few cities, actually, that Paul went to. Uh, Thessaloniki, Thessalonica. It's, it's, I'm serious. It's how you say it. Like, I was, I was actually like, that sounds funny. I like saying Thessaloniki. Uh, but Thessalonica, which is where you get the other New Testament books, Thessalonians. Um, Paul wrote those two letters to them. Um, the, there was another church gathered in that city. But, but specifically, I, I want you to understand why I'm bringing up, like, this city and the culture of the city. If you could just imagine, um, as Paul and the disciples leave Jerusalem, and, and again, if you've got a Bible that was made, like, not recently, you're probably going to have all these fun maps in the back that when you were a kid, you, like, drew all over and scribbled and stuff, but it actually has meaning in this moment right now, so if you have a Bible, it'd be awesome to turn there. If it says, like, Paul's missionary journeys, it begins to talk about how not just Paul, but these, these apostles, these, these disciples went, and they started to spread the gospel throughout all of Asia, throughout all, at this point, he's at Philippi and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, obviously, he didn't make it, personally make it to the entire world, but God used him during a specific time in his specific ministry to get where he did make it. And when he made it to Philippi, he established something there that took root. He established something there that had amazing fruit and had amazing eternal impact. And he moved on to other cities, and he moved on to other places. And as he began to move on, like if you've ever been somewhere that you love, if you've ever been with family or with friends that you just, like there's just such a connection there, such a love there. There's this, this amazing like family feel. Like, you'd do anything for them. And that's exactly what's happening here. So this letter he's writing is not just marching orders. It's not just grabbing them by the mask and telling the church of Philippi that they are missing the mark. This is a, this is a letter of, of love and of family and, and, and a thank you and a, an encouragement and edifying, a building up to triumph, to triumph over all things. And to triumph over circumstance and death and sickness and all the things that are going to come at them. Grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God in, my, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy. Just imagine, what would the Apostle Paul's what would the Apostle Paul's prayer life look like? Think about this. Like, literally, like, what did his scratch paper of prayers look like? Oh, that church in Thessaloniki, Philippi. And, like, what, what did that look like? Think about that. And these letters are deeply personal. He's thinking of them. Always, he says. He's remembering them. He's remembering the faces. He's remembering the, the elders and the deacons and those that are leading the church and those that are leading the charge for faith and spreading of the good news. But he also thanks them for something. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I need to stop here and just point out the fact that we have these uh, coffee cup verses in the Bible. I'm sure you've heard of all of them. You've seen them on t-shirts or written on people's face that play football and things like that. Like these, these coffee cup verses that for the most part come from Philippians. Philippians is so full of these great one-liners, these great verses Partly because of triumph. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Like we have these, these verses that we, we hold on to. Why? Because we want to triumph over all. And they come out of this. And they're so amazing and they're so great. We can put them on our coffee cup. We can put them on our t-shirt. But I, I beg you to understand this morning. I beg you to understand why those were written the context by which they were written. So we can't just take a verse of triumph of from, from that God had breathed and just tack it on every little thing to establish our way and our thing. We have to first establish the understanding of what does that mean. Even when Paul said, you've heard this before, it, like it's the Christian version of like, ah, it'll all work out. It's this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's going to be all right. He's going to work it out. He's going to make it happen. Everything's going to be fine. This is where I get angry. This is where I get frustrated. Not at you. Angry, like, just at our culture. Because I... I'm, I'm trying so hard to, like, be the receiver of this letter in, in the city of Philippi. And I'm trying to read this. And I know what Paul's talking about. And I know what he's saying. Like, the, he that began a good work in me is going to bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. I can't take that and just be like, you know what? Here, I know uh, Philippi is really struggling with the, our economy. And I, I'm, try, I'm struggling to... To, to, to figure this thing out. I'm struggling 
whether it's trying to find a new job or like the job I'm at or like the thing that's going on. And I think we immediately go to our circumstance. We take the most amazing gold that is the word of God and the most amazing truth and the character of who God is, and we take it and we rob it and we apply it to all the things in our life that are, are like so maybe even not as significant as God. Now, I don't want to take away the fact that us as Christians have taken his word and have tried to, tried to apply it to every part of our life. I don't want to take that away. And I, want to, I don't want to like say, well, you know, don't do that. Don't, don't say, um, don't say to each other those words that are encouraging and triumph. I just want you so bad to understand the bigger picture. I want you so bad to understand what God is going after when he's explaining this. It's not about those little circumstances in your life. Although he cares about all those little circumstances of your life. He absolutely cares. But he wants something better. He wants something greater than just those to be fixed and okay. And, and we live our full life as the American dream. He wants something bigger and better. So I had this friend. He's your friend too. His name's Pastor Ben. Um, and he makes some mean ribs, right? Um, and I've had the privilege of having these ribs twice in the last little bit, and they're amazing, right? And so, like, um, how many of you grill ribs? Come on, you rib people? All right, a lot of you. So there's a process to it, right? There's like this, and everybody's got like a doctrine of how they're going to do it, right? And watching this whole process uh, recently, Pastor Ben making these amazing ribs, and, and I have the privilege of eating them, right? I had no part of the work or anything. I just got to, to, to take them in, right? Um, there's several different kinds of ribs that he made, and there was a lot of thought put into it, and it was so appreciated. It was so amazing. Now, imagine I grab my plate of ribs, and, and, I, and I go, and I sit down, and I grab uh, a salt shaker, and I sprinkle a little bit of salt on it, and I put the salt down. Just like, how many of you guys are salt people? Like, you got to have salt on it, salt, pepper kind of people. Just to season a little bit. And I put the salt down, and I just, like, devour these ribs. And I'm, like, over, like, I'm, like, I'm hungry thinking about it, actually, my mouth. I'm sorry. Some of you are looking at me like, all right, bro, let's wrap this up. Um, and I'm eating these things, and I finish, I throw the bones down, I got, I mean, I got ribs for days in here, and it's just, this is done. And I'm so overwhelmed and thankful, but here's the thing. What if I, I said, let's say I, I made 40 comments about it. I even wrote them a thank you card and sent it in the mail, like the whole bit. What if every time I commented on the salt? That salt was so good, bro. I don't know where you got that salt, but it was amazing. Like how it was just sprinkled on there, and it just made the salt. It was just all about the salt. And I am, now this sounds so silly, right? And no one would do that. You would go to the fact that, man, thanks so much for, for cooking those in that way and getting that sauce and thinking that through and making it amazing. And like you focus on the main thing. You kept the main thing the main thing, not the salt. Our circumstances are the salt. It's not everything. 
It affects everything. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes you put too much on it. You're like, I got too much circumstance right now. I'm drowning here. <laughs> right? You've been in that spot. Maybe you're in that spot today. Right? Uh, but here's what I'm saying. Our circumstances are important. God cares about our circumstances. And if I just said, okay, for the next half an hour, I just want you guys to just pray. Just pray. God would be up there in his ears. Oh, God, is, the Holy Spirit is living inside you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And, and, but you understand what I'm saying. He's hearing your prayers. My fear in the American church is that he's hearing about the salt. He cares about the salt. He does. He cares about every part of your circumstance. And he wants there to be, like, he wants you to prosper. He wants you to not be in pain. He wants you to be in comfort. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have those things. He doesn't desire that you just would sit in discomfort, and he doesn't desire that you would just be in this this horrible circumstance. But here's what I'm saying, is it's not about the salt. We're missing the main thing. And, and, and I'm saying this not to you. I'm saying this with you. Pastor Ben also talked about a few weeks ago about attitude. Whew. All right. So that was, that was, I needed that, right? How many of you needed that? Remember that. Several of you. Sometimes it's our attitude of the circumstance that affects everything. And I just, I just feel like when we read these verses and as we go through triumph, the triumph is a, it's about triumph over our circumstance so that we can see the main thing. So that we can thank God for the main thing in times of blessing. And so that even in times of trial and struggle, we can Rely and trust and have faith in the sovereignty of God for the main thing. The circumstance is just the, it's just the, it's just the thing. But it's not the thing. And they knew that. And the thing is, is they, they lived in the same circumstance struggle that you and I do. In fact, arguably, as I've last night learned in all these books, um, the city of Philippi, um, they, they actually really struggled. I mean, but they didn't, you know, a lot of times they, they didn't actually know much outside of the, that circumstance of struggle. But notice what he writes in this book as we look through Triumph, not just today, but the next weeks. What, what Paul was doing there wasn't about, ah, I just want, I hope it works out for you guys. I hope that God is going to work it to completion. No, can, can I, now that I've kind of unraveled what, what it's not, can I just, like, can I edify you in what, what it is? Thank you, Phil. All right, Phil, you ready? <laughs> so, I am sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work, in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is the day of Jesus Christ? His return. It, it's essentially, and even in context here, it's a few things, 
but not different things. It's the day of reckoning. It's the day of Jesus Christ. It's the day he comes back. It's the day we stand at the door of eternity. It's the day that we stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ as believers and those that have received salvation through Jesus Christ and what he did on, what, to, for us on the cross, how he rose from the dead and how we rise and we are baptized not just down into the death that he had, but we rise to new life that he gives us and he freely gives us because of his work and not because of our work. And the moment that we receive that, we have eternal life starting in that moment, that very moment that we believe. And even though our body fails and our body falls apart and our body dies, our soul will live on for eternity because God sees the holiness of Jesus that you're covered in and not your own righteousness and not your own work. He sees Jesus' work on you. He sees you free. He sees you holy. He sees you sanctified. He sees you set apart. He sees you as not just a believer, not just a churchgoer, not just a pew sitter, but he sees you as a son, as a daughter. But you got work to do. You got work to do. I've got work to do. Nowhere in Scripture does salvation begin and then they coast. You're called to live on mission. We're called to live on mission. And this is the context by which he's talking about the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is that moment when the only thing in front of us is eternity and the only thing behind us is our life and what we've done for the advancement of the gospel. That scares me, no pun intended, it scares me to death. Guys, I know his grace has covered you. His love has consumed you. And salvation has come to you. But make no mistake about it. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, God's word says that we will suffer loss. He will wipe tears. Everything will be burnt up. And the only thing left is what we've done for the advancement of the gospel. The proclamation of his word living on mission to move the good news forward. Through relationship, through financial contribution and, 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 and benevolence to the community and those that are around you, every direction, those that you know, those that you don't know, those that you've raised, those that you've married, those that you've been with, those that you've friends with, the people in your life that you're accountable for, that I'm accountable for. Make no mistake about it. This is not a day to be like, hey, it's all good, man. This is a day that he will calculate. Not calculate so that we can receive whippings or that we'll go to hell. We're already in, we're already in glory. The, the context here is that the day of Christ is a, so it's a, it's an award ceremony. And that we would cast all of our awards, we'd cast all of our crowns at the feet of Jesus, and forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, we will celebrate with the King of kings and the Lord of lords because of him all these things have, have been accomplished. But I don't want to stand there 
empty-handed. I don't want to come to the birthday party with nothing in my hands. Then it's not about me. Like I've, like Pastor Ben said last night, sorry, I'm really picking on you today, um, or talking about you today. So he said last night in regards to the, and I don't know if you said the phrase this today, but in regards to the event, he, he was referring to the mission and what we're trying to do in the city, and he said something to the effect of that not in my lifetime is this going to happen in ways of, like, that motivates us. Like, we are going to step in. We are going to advance the gospel for the glory of Jesus. And, and it, that, like, phrase stuck with me because it's, it's like, guys, we have this day, this day, in this life, in this moment, in this church to advance the good news, to move it forward in the relationships that we have, to understand the context of what he was writing to the church of Philippi about was that it was all about moving forward the gospel, not just speaking it, not just living it, as a church, living, breathing organism to testify of the grace of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thus, by his work and by his power, he moves the gospel forward. And he reaches those people that are heavy on your heart that you don't want to see go to hell. Then he reaches those people that are heavy on your heart that you wish so bad could just be here right now and that wish so bad could just understand how much God loves them. That's what it's about. That's what it is to move and advance the gospel forward. And they knew that. And that's what Paul was doing. And he's writing to the church of Philippi. And he's saying, the day of Jesus Christ is coming. And he's going to bring all the things in your life circumstance and whatnot. He's going to bring it to completion. He's going to bring the work fully complete. When you stand before him someday, you will be fully given and fully surrendered to what he's done through you if you're willing. If you're willing. If, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There it is again. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness that, fruit of righteousness that doesn't come through our good deeds. Through us living on mission through us never missing church through us if you fill in the blank it doesn't come by that how does it come it comes through the righteousness by jesus christ to the glory and the praise of god verse 12 i want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel What happened to Paul? So, Acts 16. Acts 16 describes how 
um, <laughs> there, were, there was some uh, demonic oppression, possession that followed the ministry of these guys. And to the point where it even says Paul was greatly annoyed. <laughs> I love that. He was greatly annoyed, and so he, like, I just imagine, like, days, this, this, um, this girl calling out what they're doing, what they're doing, like, what they're about, him, the power of Jesus Christ, asking those that are hosting this girl to leave, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, this happens, and then, um, like, literally, if there was ever a, a place to put this phrase, all hell broke loose, um, that's literally what happened. The enemy was not cool with what was happening. And to the point where if we just shut them up, if we just put them in prison, and that's exactly what happened. In fact, it describes... And, and a lot of times we don't teach on this part, but Paul and Silas were, were uh, arrested, brought into the city, completely stripped naked, and it says that they were beat with rods. And then they were put in prison. Now, if you, if, if Paul was an American... I love America. I need to say that. Like, I'm not trying to, like, down America because I'm one of them. And I, but I fully am trying to put myself in Paul's shoes. And, it, and if that happened to me, and I got brought, and I got beaten, and I was put in jail, all of a sudden, I, I don't know that I would have the triumph, the courage in the moment to be like, oh, man, this is, this is going to completely help the gospel go forward more. No. I would be like, are you kidding me, God? How would you let, why would you let them arrest me? And now they're hitting me. Why would you let this happen? For me, it's all about me. Oh, and then you want me to go spread the gospel to the rest of the world? And you put me in this jail cell? Yeah, that plan really worked. Like, I would be consumed with the salt. I'd be consumed with the circumstance. I don't know if you would, but I know I would. And I pray, I pray I wouldn't be. Oh, Paul and Silas are in prison. Check this out. To the point they were beaten and they were getting ready to put in a, in a cell. And, 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 and check this out. They noticed the way that the boss talked to the jailer. I, and it doesn't describe in detail, but it makes it very clear that he told that jailer, they need to be in prison and they need to be safe. Or, or heads are going to roll, basically. Paul and Silas, in the middle of their, their, their struggle and pain, they heard that. They get put in prison, and then something supernatural happens in the middle of the night. It says that while they were singing hymns, <laughs> yes, they're like, literally, I don't know if they got put clothes back on them, so they're naked, they're beating, beat up, bloody, in a jail cell, shackled around their feet, and they're singing praises to God. And then the supernatural happens. An earthquake happens. And it says that, like, destruction came. The gates opened. The shackles were loosed. And the jailer realized in the dark, he's dead. 
And it says that he began, he was going to fall on his sword. He was going to commit suicide because he's so filled with grief. It's either I die now or I die in a few moments when they realize that I didn't do my job. And here it comes out of nowhere. And they could have, Paul says, could have ran right out. But they saw above, they triumphed above their circumstance. And they said, hey, bud, uh, call us crazy, but we're still here. Why did they do that? Because they triumphed over their circumstances because they saw the eternity of that jailer. Wow. 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 All of a sudden, their life was about the advancement of the good news, the advancement of the gospel, and it wasn't about them or their comfort or their pain or, their, or anything. And so Paul in Silas, Paul in that example, stays in prison. Stays in prison. He's like, oh, it's, I've got a good padded bed here, and they're feeding me three times a day, and I can go play basketball outside for a few hours of the day. Like, that's not it at all. We're not, we're, this is, that's not happening. He saw that his life was about something bigger than his comfort. And in the midst of comfort as Americans, in the midst of comfort in 2017 and all the technology and all the things that we have and the phones and the computers and drones and, 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 and stretchy jeans and, and all kinds of like fun things that we have, we lose sight. We lose sight of the main thing. And if the enemy had any strategy, it was to distract us for 80 years. Just distract us with good ribs and good food and fun vacations and good comforts and attaining, a, climbing a ladder and career and, 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 and fun and style and, and building and, and things. But to miss, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to miss the point of triumphing over everything and to express the beauty of the cross and its ability to save souls and give eternal life and to forgive all of our sins. Wow. If we could just be distracted by something else, the enemy has won. And so when Paul, he goes on and he talks about, he's like, listen guys, let me say the same phrase again. But here after what I just explained for Paul is that he said, I want to tell you so that you know, brothers, that what has happened to me has been served to advance the gospel. Like, this is good. It's the message. This is even better. I'm getting the message is going to go forth with more power. With more power. We will triumph through this so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the whole Roman Empire. And even as these Romans, these guys like beating us up and putting us in jail. Oh, you just wait until they hear about this jailer because they didn't just see that jailer. Now all of a sudden, Paul's got a ministry to the Roman guards throughout the imperial guard, throughout the Roman rule, which now had, <laughs> was consuming the planet. Think about this. They're like, okay. He's like, all right, every time I get in a ship, it wrecks. Every time I preach, I get put in jail. You know what? I'm going to spread the gospel through what is spreading throughout the world. 
to them, the Roman Empire was the greatest technology that they had their hands on. And for Paul, through the supernatural aspect of him triumphing over his circumstance, he used that technology to spread and advance the gospel. We can use anything, guys. It's 2017. We can use so many of these tools and so many of these opportunities and so many of these things like a hot dog and a food truck and bounce house and all these amazing things to do what? To advance the gospel. It's not just the message of Jesus Christ. And if it was just the message, we would just make a giant sign. But you know and I know that no man comes to the Father unless he is drawn. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. And in this day and age, one of the most effective ways, not the only effective way, but the, one of the most effective ways to, um, to communicate that message is through our life, through relationship. How are we going to have relationship if we don't talk to them, if we don't, like, knock on their door, if we don't know, we don't know them, we don't, what's happening? Here we go. Um, we don't know them. We, don't, we, we have to build relationship with them. How do we affect a community? How do we sprinkle a community with the love? It's called I Am Loved. It's called June 24th. It's called right here is, a, is a, where we as a church begin to touch a community and begin to introduce ourselves and say, hi, we are Kondo, we are Core, we are whoever we are, and we begin to introduce the love of Jesus, not fully and not a complete, beautiful, pretty package in that moment, but you know what? It's an introduction. It's not the end-all, be-all, but it's an open door to communicate the gospel, to advance the gospel. So my question for you today is past I am love, past church, past all that, what are you doing in your life, your life, to advance the gospel? Could it be that it's actually triumph over the circumstance in your life, that it's actually the technology, the, the opportunity to communicate the gospel. Could, could it be? In, in fact, we had uh, a testimony today scheduled for someone to, to share, and um, they became ill and weren't able to. Hopefully next weekend they will be able to. But you want to talk about triumph over horrific circumstance. You have circumstance. And God's like asking you to triumph. Not to forget it, but use it. Celebrate it. To thank God for it. To heal from it. To, to rise above it. And I'm looking and I'm seeing faces and I know some of these struggles and I know some of these trials and I've seen you triumph. I've seen you triumph. I have three quick things I want to share with you before we end. Three ways to triumph over your circumstances. Um, I'd love for you to write these down if you can. Um, number one, Stop blaming God merely for circumstantial blessing. That might stir the pot a little bit. Stop blaming God merely for circumstantial blessing. Can I tell you sometimes like where my mind goes when we get we build a new building or 
we get a new car, or we get a new shirt, or we get a new job, or we get a new thing, or we, like, we get this blessing, right? And we give God credit, as we should. And we pray for meals. I'm not trying to take away any of that. And I do the same. Thank you, God, for all the blessings. Honestly, I'm not trying to take away from that. But I often wonder, like, what about the people, like, in different contexts or across the world, whatever, that have a false God? When they get a nice, a new nice shirt or a new nice car, and they think they're false God for that blessing, like, how does that work? You ever thought about that? Or is that just me? I think sometimes we mistake blessing as God. We live in America. Financial blessing, you don't even have to have the money to purchase it. So we can't always be blaming God for every blessing and label it as God. Now, I'm going to share number two, and hopefully it'll give number one better context. Stop blaming God merely for circumstantial, circumstantial trials. Stop blaming God for circumstantial trials. Here's the thing. Some of us shut God off because of the trials we're in. Maybe you're even here and you're like completely checked out because of the struggle and the trial you're in. So when we blame God for the blessing and we blame God for the trial, what happens is, you know those, those things at the bank? Um, Danielle, you know like the, the tubes that come out to the drive-thru and you like put your stuff in there and soop, and all of a sudden it like somehow appears over there? I think sometimes we have this like mindset in our prayer life, in our relationship with God that like, okay, here's the tube to God. I'm soup. And it's like every day, like, okay, blessing or trial? Oh, blessing. Sweet. Thanks, God. And then, soup, trial. Ooh. I don't know, God. Soup. And you sit it back. Like, you have this, <laughs> this, like, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, ah, uh, you didn't sign this. <laughs> you didn't sign this paper. Send it back. <laughs> Try again. You meant to send the blessing, didn't you? What happens is, I think so many of us, we try to, oh, it's the blessing tube. We try to, like, widen it. Well, let's add another extension here. Like, let's make that happen. But the trial tube will, like, clog it. We'll try to stop it. And this is my point in stop blaming God for both aspects is that we get stuck in the blessing and the trial. Blessing and the trial. And all of a sudden, we're so, we're so enamored with the blessing and, like, the how awesome this is and this new thing I got. And it's, ah, it's so good and I feel so great. And even emotions are a part of that blessing, too. Like, feeling good and feeling, like, all these things that he even gives. That even trials, even the things that, that flow that he allows through his fingers. Like, even though I'm not trying to say he doesn't send them. But what I'm saying is when we focus on what comes down the, the tube, so to speak, is not the point. And so to triumph over that, we have to stop blaming God for both perspectives. Does that make sense? Okay, number three, and finally, it's really simple. It's really simple. Um, be careful. Be careful in order to triumph over your circumstance. Be careful. Be careful how you veg out. I know that sounds really weird, and now you're like, really? That's a point in your sermon? But I, I, I've, uh, so in the go, 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 and the busyness of life, and the, the running from here to there, here, and the, like, we just never stop. 
We just never stop. It's, we're, just, we're so like filled with, with, with um, stimulation and, and go, go, go. And we just can't be available. It's like one of the, my favorite things in, in ever like, to do sometimes is counsel with people because it's, it's that moment where all of a sudden time stops and they see that time stops and they're able to communicate and we're able to dive into the word and see what the circumstance that there's something bigger, and there's, there's something beautiful there. But w- what, I've, what I've learned, in fact, I was just reading the other day, um, it was like a counseling article, and they were talking about the perspective of biblical counseling and, and what, what we do in this, with technology in this day and age at night with our phones and our TV, and, and there's so much of like never stopping our mind from moving, um, that what happens is we veg out at a certain point of the day, and, 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 and I'm just like you. I, I get it. Sometimes we do things. Sometimes it's, it's like somewhat healthy things that, that, that we do to veg out. But what this study that I was reading was saying, this study was saying that you, it's impossible, it's impossible for you to completely check out or numb out the pain. To numb out the pain also means to numb out the joy. So when we veg out, whether it's, again, I'm not saying, like, stop watching TV or eating chips or, oh, well, that's probably, I should be saying that maybe. But what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is that we do things that are, like, mental breaks. But what happens at the end of that mental break, they're sinful or not something. To rise and triumph over your circumstance is to embrace and allow God to touch and to process those thoughts and those experiences and the things that are stimulated your day and stimulated you know, the relationships. He's a, he wants to repair back like what's broken. And when we veg out, we check out. And when we check out on our pain and we check out on our day, what happens is we check out on everything. It's impossible this study saying that it was impossible for our minds to pick and choose what to numb and what to not numb. But I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Kind of have to, right? Because it's real. And what the power of the Holy Spirit does is he, it's not black and white. It's not like, oh, you're going to completely numb out or you're going to completely engage and feel that pain all day long and all night long. What he's asking you to do, the Holy Spirit is asking you to do, he is, he's a surgeon. He gets in there and he allows the things that need healed as you bring it and as you communicate it to him. He wants to touch that and he wants to heal that. He wants to, to breathe life into that. And some things take time. Some things are instant. The Holy Spirit. I don't know why he does. I don't know his timing. His ways are not my ways. But he wants to be invited into those areas of your life that you want to escape from, that you need relief from, even in our fleshly bodies, that he may. He wants to give you relief. Nothing else will give you true relief. Nothing else will give you true peace. And so when we try to manage through things, medicine, all these other things that some, some of them are even needed and, and some are even uh, part of God's plan for your life. But I feel, I feel like sometimes we don't go to God's plan. We, we may do all these scientific plans, but in, 
God's a part of that. But he's inviting you to invite him into every area so that you can begin to rise and triumph over all your circumstance. Trial, blessing. Paul says later in that chapter, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Put me in jail? Fine. I'll use y'all to spread the gospel through your jailers. Kill me? That's even better. To live is Christ, but to die is the gain. I get to see Jesus. Kill me. Okay, don't kill me. Just keep me in prison. I'll keep writing letters. I'll keep blowing up the church in Philippi. I'll keep blowing up the church in Thessalonica. I'll keep spreading the God. I'll keep advancing the gospel. So that's what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain, and you're no different. We can't wear the shirt. We can't have it on our coffee cup unless we truly believe that triumphing, triumphing over our circumstance is that perspective. To live as Christ. I'm all in. But the worst case scenario, to die, that's gain. I get the day of Jesus Christ to stand before my King, my Lord. So may you as you go, may you simply see the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God in all of that. And as Paul wrote, and as we live, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Would you stand?